All right, this evening we will, um, Lord willing, cover Numbers chapters 18 and 19. Before we do that, if you would turn back a page or so um, to number 16, I wanted to uh, point out something from number 16 that I didn't explicitly mention last time. And uh, Pastor Scott actually was the one, I'll give him credit where credit is due, who, who pointed this out. We were out on a run over the weekend and we were talking about uh, the book of Numbers and, and the, the teaching from from last time and uh, Numbers chapter 16 uh, verses 12 through 14 then Moses sent a summons to Dathan and Abiram the sons of Eliab but they said we will not come up is it not enough that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to have us die in the wilderness, but you would also lord it over us? Indeed, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor have you given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Would you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. And um, Pastor Scott made the point as we were uh, running and talking that this really is the... Um, the heart condition of those who reject the gospel. Right? I mean, think about it. Dathan and Abiram are making the argument that Egypt, from whence they came, was the land flowing with milk and honey, and that God was not fulfilling his promises to them. And in a, in a very real sense, the spiritually dead man loves his sin, is in slavery to his sin, and sees the life of sin as the land flowing with milk and honey. And when that same man is presented with the glories of the gospel, the benefits, frankly, of the gospel, the promises of the gospel in this life and in the next, the, the true land flowing with milk and honey, um, the unregenerate man rejects all of that and sees his sin, specifically his slavery to sin, as that which is be, to be desired. And uh, so there's your, your gospel application, as it were, from Numbers chapter 16. The cry of Dathan and Abiram, which is truly the cry of all those who reject this great promises of God that he has made in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So tonight, we're going to pick up in um, Numbers chapter 18, verse 1. So in... Uh, chapter 18, we will retread some uh, ground that we have already been across, so I will not spend a lot of time in Numbers 18. And then we will uh, also go to Numbers chapter 19, where we will talk about the red heifer. So Numbers 18, picking up in verse 1, reminding us that these are the undated events, okay, and... Um, while the Israelites are in the wilderness, uh, which would account for some of the repeated portions of Scripture here. 
Numbers 18, verse 1. So the Lord said to Aaron, You and your sons and your father's household with you shall bear the guilt in connection with the sanctuary. And you and your sons with you shall bear the guilt in connection with your priesthood. And so I just want to pause here and point out that what this means is that the the Levites, and specifically Aaron's family, is charged with the protection of the tabernacle and the protection of the, their fellow Israelites. And we'll see as we get to verses 4 and 5 what this protection really is from. Verse 2, But bring with you also your brothers, the tribe of Levi, the tribe of your father, that they may be joined with you and serve you, while you and your sons with you are before the tent of the testimony. And they shall thus attend to your obligation and the obligation of all the tent. But they shall not come near to the furnishings of the sanctuary and the altar, lest both they and you die. And they shall be joined with you and attend to the obligations of the tent of meeting for all the service of the tent, but an outsider may not come near you. So you shall attend to the obligations of the sanctuary and the obligations of the altar, that there may no longer be wrath on the sons of Israel. So, we see here that the priesthood is tasked with protecting the tabernacle and the, protecting the Israelites from the tabernacle. Okay, And this wrath that's mentioned in Numbers chapter 18 verse 5 ties us actually back to Numbers 16 uh, and uh, Korah's rebellion. Right, Korah and, and those who were with him wanted to be at the same level with Aaron and his sons. Okay, and for that desire, wrath, God's wrath, was poured out on them. And Aaron and his sons now are tasked with not only protecting the tent of testimony or the tabernacle, but also protecting the Israelites and keeping them as far away from the tent of meeting as they must be so that God's wrath will not be poured out on them. Verse 6. And behold, I myself, God speaking, have taken your fellow Levites from among the sons of Israel. They are a gift to you, dedicated to the Lord, to perform the service for the tent of meeting. But you and your sons with you shall attend to your priesthood for everything concerning the altar and inside the veil, and you are to perform service. I am giving you the priesthood as a bestowed service, but the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. So we see this repeated warning for the common Israelites who are not of Aaron and his family that they ought not to come near to the to the tent of testimony. And I just note here that in uh, chapter 18 verse 1 uh, the Lord said to Aaron. So it's relatively rare uh that that the Lord speaks to Aaron alone. Uh, the Lord, of course, speaks to Moses, and uh, on occasion the Lord speaks to Moses and Aaron. But we see here in verse 1, and then also as we pick up in verse 8, that the Lord is speaking specifically to Aaron in these, case, these two cases. Uh, verse 8, Then the Lord spoke to Aaron, Now behold, I myself have given you charge of my offerings, even all the holy gifts of the sons of Israel. I have given them to you as a portion, and to your sons as a perpetual allotment. This shall be yours from the most holy gifts, reserved from the fire. Every offering of theirs, even every grain offering, and every sin offering, and every guilt offering, which they shall render to me, shall be most holy for you and for your sons. As the most holy gifts, you shall eat it. Every male shall eat it. It shall be holy to you. This also is yours, the offering of their gift, even all the wave offerings of the sons of Israel. I have given them to you and to your sons and daughters with you as a perpetual allotment. Every one of your household who is clean may eat it. Verse 12. All the best of the fresh oil and all the best of the fresh wine and of the grain 
the first fruits of those which they give to the Lord, I give them to you. The first ripe fruits of all that is in their land, which they bring to the Lord, shall be yours. Every one of your household who is clean may eat it. Every devoted thing in Israel shall be yours. Every first issue of the womb of all flesh, whether man or animal, which they offer to the Lord, shall be yours. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man you shall surely redeem, and the firstborn of unclean animals you shall redeem. And as to their redemption price, from a month old you shall redeem them by your valuation five shekels in silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, which is twenty geraz. Verse 17, But the firstborn of an ox, or the firstborn of a sheep, or the firstborn of a goat, you shall not redeem. They are holy. You shall sprinkle their blood on the altar, and shall offer up their fat in smoke, as an offering by fire for a soothing aroma to the Lord. And their meat shall be yours. It shall be yours like the breast of a wave offering, and like the right thigh. All the offerings of the holy gifts which the Son of Israel offered to the Lord, I have given to you and your sons and your daughters with you, as a perpetual allotment. It is an everlasting covenant of salt before the Lord to you and your descendants with you. So we see that these gifts which are being offered on the altar uh, as a normal part of the sacrificial system of the Israelites, uh, these are those w- from which the priesthood should eat. And we see in verse 19 of Numbers 18, this um, covenant of salt, which we saw previously back in Leviticus chapter 2, verse 13. Verse 20, Then the Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in their land, nor own any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the sons of Israel. And to the sons of Levi, behold, I have given all the tithe in Israel for an inheritance, in return for their service which they perform, the service of the tent of meeting. And the sons of Israel shall not come near the tent of meeting again, lest they bear sin and die. Only the Levites shall perform the service of the tent of meeting, and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations, and among the sons of Israel they shall have no inheritance. For the tithe of the sons of Israel, which they offer as an offering to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for an inheritance. They shall have no inheritance among the sons of Israel. Verse 25. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Moreover, you shall speak to the Levites and say to them, When you take... from the sons of Israel the tithe which I have given you from them for your inheritance, then you shall present an offering from it to the Lord, a tithe of the tithe. And your offering shall be reckoned to you as the grain from the threshing floor or the full produce from the wine vat. So you shall also present an offering to the Lord from your tithes, which you receive from the sons of Israel. And from it you shall give the Lord's offering to Aaron the priest. Out of all your gifts you shall present every offering due to the Lord, from all the best of them, the sacred part of them. And you shall say to them, When you have offered from it the best of it, then the rest shall be reckoned to the Levites as the product of the threshing floor, and as the product of the wine vat. And you may eat it anywhere, you and your households, for it is your compensation in return for your service in the tent of meeting. And you shall bear no sin by reason of it, when you have offered the best of it. But you shall not profane the sacred gifts of the sons of Israel, lest you die. So this latter portion here, of Numbers uh, chapter 18 is we see how the Levites, uh, just, to, just to be frank about it, made their living, right? So they ate from the offerings of the sacrifices and they were paid from the tithes of the people of Israel. And tithe just means uh, 10%, the first 10%. 
uh, here. And so all of the Israelites were tasked with bringing the first 10% of uh, all of their gains. Uh, and of course, in a primarily <coughs> agricultural society, uh, those would be offering of the first fruits. And we see here that uh, those tithes are brought uh, into the tabernacle or later into the temple. And those from those tithes, uh, the Levites made their living. And of course, we saw in a in verse 26 of Numbers um, chapter 18 that the Levites then were to return uh, for the service of the tabernacle the tithe of the tithe. So the 10% of the 10% they had received as their wages. Okay, so much of this we have seen previously. Um, I don't necessarily want to retread this ground, so we will jump here into Numbers chapter 19. Uh, let me say one more thing about Numbers chapter 18. So we saw again in verse 20, uh, Then the Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in their land, nor own any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the sons of Israel. So we saw this before. Uh, we see it again as a foreshadowing. So when we get into the book of Joshua, and the land of Canaan is apportioned among the tribes of Israel. We will see that uh, the Levites uh, were not given any inheritance in the land. Only the 12 tribes, and remember the reason there are 12 tribes not counting Levi, is because Joseph had both the tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim. So we will see that later um, when you get to Joshua, that the tribe of Levi is not apportioned uh, apart of the land of Canaan. Numbers chapter 19 verse 1. So let's talk about the ordinance of the red heifer uh, here in Numbers chapter 19. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, This is the statute of the law which the Lord has commanded saying, Speak to the sons of Israel that they bring you an unblemished red heifer in which is no defect and on which a yoke has never been placed. And you shall give it to Eleazar, the priest, and it shall be brought outside the camp and be slaughtered in his presence. Next, Eleazar, the priest, shall take some of its blood with his finger and sprinkle some of its blood toward the front of the tent of meeting seven times. Then the heifer shall be burned in his sight. Its hide and its flesh and its blood with its refuse shall be burned. And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet material and cast it into the midst of the burning heifer. The priest shall then wash his clothes and bathe his body in water and afterward come into the camp. But the priest shall be unclean until evening. The one who burns it shall also wash his clothes in water and bathe his body in water and shall be unclean until evening. Now a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and deposit them outside the camp in a clean place. And the congregation of the sons of Israel shall keep it as water to remove impurity. It is purification from sin. And the one who gathers the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. And that shall be a perpetual statute to the sons of Israel and to the alien who sojourns among them. Verse 11, the one who touches the corpse of any person shall be unclean for seven days. That one shall purify himself from uncleanness with the water on the third day and on the seventh day, and then he shall be clean. 
But if he does not purify himself on the third day and on the seventh day, he shall not be clean. Anyone who touches a corpse, the body of a man who has died and does not purify himself, defiles the tabernacle of the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from Israel. Because the water for impurity was not sprinkled on him, he shall be unclean. His uncleanness is still on him. This is the law when a man dies in a tent. Everyone who comes into the tent and everyone who is in the tent shall be unclean for seven days. And every open vessel which has no covering tied down on it shall be unclean. And also anyone who is in the open field who touches one who has been slain with a sword or who has died naturally or a human bone or a grave shall be unclean for seven days. Then for the unclean person they shall take some of the ashes of the burnt purification from sin, and flowing water shall be added to them in a vessel. And a clean person shall take hyssop and dip it in the water, and sprinkle it on the tent and on all the furnishings, and on the persons who were there, and on the one who touched the bone, or the one slain, or the one dying naturally, or the grave." Then the, un- then the clean person shall sprinkle on the unclean on the third day and on the seventh day. And on the seventh day he shall purify him from uncleanness, and he shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water, and shall be clean by evening. But the man who is unclean and does not purify himself from uncleanness, that person shall be cut off from the midst of the assembly, because he has defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. The water for impurity has not been sprinkled on him. He is unclean. So it shall be a perpetual statute for them. And he who sprinkles the water for impurity shall wash his clothes, and he who touches the water for impurity shall be unclean until evening. Furthermore, anything that the unclean person touches shall be unclean, and the person who touches it shall be unclean until evening. Okay, so this um, red heifer, the statutes associated with the red heifer, we have not seen before. Um, So this is the first time we have seen it, Numbers chapter 19. Uh, It's very um, appropriate for it to be here, because if you remember uh, just a couple of chapters ago, uh, in Korah's rebellion, there were a whole bunch of people who died. Um, The wrath of the Lord uh, was poured out on them. If you remember correctly, back in Numbers chapter 16, uh, verse 49, um, those who died of the plague were 14,700, besides those who died on account of Korah. And so the question then now comes that um, when anyone touches another Israelite who died, uh, what is the process by which they were to become clean again? Because we saw in verse 11 of Numbers chapter 19, the one who touches the corpse of any person shall be unclean for seven days. And so the solution to this problem, the purification that was necessary to cause that unclean person to be restored to cleanness. And again, if you remember back in our study um, of Leviticus, we had holy persons and common persons. And then among the common persons, we had clean and unclean. And so here in Numbers chapter 19, uh, we have an essential part of that purification for those who were unclean, who had touched a corpse, and um, that the the way that happens is first and foremost, the Israelites and the entire congregation had to bring uh, 
Verse 2, an unblemished red heifer in which is no defect and on which a yoke has never been placed. And so this is the pure of the pure uh, of a red heifer, right? A female bull or a female cow, sorry, um, was to be sacrificed. Um, there's a lot of, of Jewish literature, uh, to be honest with you, on this red heifer uh, with regard to what it meant for the red heifer to be unblemished. Uh, they would literally count the number of um, black or white hairs on these red heifer, and if it reached a certain threshold, then that was a disqualification of a red heifer, and some of the writings say as few as five uh, hairs on the red heifer, so there was a very close inspection on this red uh, female cow. Um, there's also a lot of literature in the Jewish literature regarding uh, why, uh, in this particular case, a female cow is used and not a bull. And some of that is tied uh, back to uh, bull worship uh, in Egypt to uh, set apart the Israelites from the uh, Egyptian worship of bulls. And of course, if you remember back to Exodus 32, uh, that was the very thing uh, that Aaron constructed for the worship uh, of the Israelites while Moses was up on top of the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, so this is clearly in uh, contrast to that. Uh, the red heifer, of course, being a female cow. And of course, as we saw previously with Israelite sacrifices, there had to be no defect. And we see even further level of purity, verse 2, that um, no yoke had ever allowed to have been placed on such a red heifer if she were to be uh, qualified uh, for this particular ritual of purification. Verse 3, you see how this ritual goes. Um, it goes to Eleazar, so this is Aaron's son, so of the high priestly family. They were to lead uh, this red heifer outside the camp, which should ring in our ears, uh, all the way out to uh, Hebrews, right? Uh, chapter 13, where Jesus was taken outside of the camp and slaughtered. So the red heifer was slaughtered in the presence of the high priestly family. Um, verse 4, Eleazar would uh, take some of its blood after it was slaughtered, would take it with his finger, and would actually go into the camp to the tabernacle itself to um, sprinkle its blood in front of the tent of meeting seven times, and then go back outside the camp to where the red heifer, now dead, was, and burn it, the whole thing. Verse 5, its hide, its flesh, its blood, its refuse, all of it was to be burned all the way down to ashes. And with that burning, verse 6, there was cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet material uh, also to be cast in the midst of the fire. We don't have here an inspired explanation for why that is. Again, lots of Jewish literature on that related to uh, the nature of the cedar wood and the hyssop as well as the scarlet uh, material. Uh, but so much of that is, is just speculation, uh, to be honest with you. The priest who's involved in this uh, ritual 
is unclean, he needs to uh, wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. Verse 7, afterward he could come into the camp because he was only unclean until evening. Um, the one who, who did the actual burning, also unclean until evening, but could come back into the camp. And then there's a clean man, verse 9, who gathers up the ashes of the heifer itself and um, deposits them outside the camp in a clean place. Right, And the purpose of all this we find out in the latter portion of verse 9. The purpose of this ritual is for these ashes to be added to living water, flowing water. We'll see that down in verse 17. Um, these ashes and the flowing water or the living water um, is for the purpose of purification of those who had come into contact with a course, uh, corpse, as I said Previously, the last portion of verse 9 where it says it is purification from sin, that literally means it is a sin offering. This red heifer is a sin offering. Um, this is, of course, tied to death. It is tied to a corpse. We know that if I could quote from the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that the wages of sin is death. And so this red heifer must die for purification from uncleanness. And again, that uncleanness being tied to a corpse, being tied ultimately to the wages of sin. So you can see that this purification appears not just in verse 9, that is what the ritual was for, to be mixed with the flowing water, but you see verse 12 that the word purify appears again. That one who is unclean, who has touched a corpse, shall purify himself from uncleanness with the water mixed with ashes on both the third day and on the seventh day. And uh, we see later in verse 14, right? It wasn't just the people that needed to be purified with this water mixed with the ashes of the red heifer, but but the uh, the things inside the house as well. If a man died inside the house, all the open vessels, all of those things needed to be cleaned and purified with this water. You see verse 18, a clean person shall take hyssop and dip it in the water and sprinkle it on the tent and on all the furnishings and on the persons who were there and on the one who touched the bone or the one who, uh, or the one slain or the one dying naturally or the grave. Okay, so it's very interesting that this is the extent of the statutes associated with the red heifer here in Numbers chapter 19. It's, it's interesting because it's so simple, right? This is a simple ritual, the slaughtering and burning of a red female cow, for the purpose of the creation of ashes to be put into uh, clean water for ritualistic purification of those who had touched a dead body. And that is literally it. So, the reason why I say it's interesting is because for a couple of different reasons. One, this would have been a significant amount of ashes. Okay? Mixed in with the water. 
and the the amount of ashes is so significant that from my understanding in my studies there may have only been actually six times over the course of 1500 years that this ritual of the slaughtering and burning of a red heifer actually took place in the life of the Israelites. And what they would do, as I understand it, is they would keep a portion of, let's say, the first red heifer that was burned, and when it came time to burn the next one, they would mix the ashes of the next red heifer with the previous red heifer to keep that in a continual line all the way back to the original time when Eleazar did this in the 15th century BC. So this water of purification mixed with the ashes of a red heifer um, was uh, tied all the way back to the original slaughter and burning. The other reason why it's very interesting, I think, to point out that this is a relatively simple and straightforward ritual applied for the purification of um, relatively simple and straightforward uncleanness, that is, the touching of a corpse, is that in our day and age, if you just type into your favorite search engine, uh, red heifer ritual, you will get a lot of hits. And um, those hits are primarily tied to a certain type of eschatology. And that type of eschatology is one that looks forward to the construction of a third temple in Jerusalem uh, on Mount Moriah at the Dome of the Rock. And so you will actually find um, that there are organizations today that are seeking out a, an unblemished red heifer upon which no yoke has ever been placed because some people have a brand of eschatology who believes that when such a qualified red heifer appears by the um, sovereignty of God, that will be a clear indicator of the introduction of the eschaton or the end times. Um, I personally do not subscribe to that particular brand of eschatology, uh, but I just wanted to point that out to you, and I'm not going to um, wax uh, on that particular topic here uh, this evening, at least during the recording portion, but I just wanted to make sure that just in case you were off doing some additional study uh, on the uh, ritual or the ordinance or the statute of the red heifer in Numbers chapter 19, uh, you might find yourself headed down a particular uh, YouTube rabbit hole or wormhole or whatever it is that uh, that uh, you would you would call such a thing that happens to us in our day and with our technology. So, uh, that is it for this evening. Numbers 18 and Numbers chapter 19. Uh, I did not want to go on to Numbers chapter 20 uh, this evening because Numbers chapter 20 itself is a very important chapter 
Um, it is not quite as important as Numbers 14, which we saw several sessions ago, uh, which was really, truly the turning point of the book of Numbers and the turning point for that particular congregation of Israelites who were redeemed out of Egyptian slavery. But Numbers chapter 20, uh, a couple of very significant things happened there. So just as some foreshadowing for next time when we get together, Lord willing, at the beginning of Numbers chapter 20, we will see the death of Miriam, which will signal then the book of Numbers coming to a close um, and then heading into um, the book of Deuteronomy. So the death of Miriam at the beginning of Numbers chapter 20, the incident uh, at Mirabah with the water from the rock there with Moses that is incredibly significant uh, in the life of not just Moses, but in the redemption story and the history of redemption as we know it. And then it ends up in Numbers chapter 20 with the death of Aaron as well. And so uh, I wanted to leave Numbers chapter 20 for next time. And uh, Lord willing, that is where we will pick up.